I want you to think about uh, who you've had into your home in the last year. Who's been welcomed in for a meal? Uh, who has stayed the night? Or flip that around, whose home have you been welcomed into? Uh, maybe it's been with family or lifelong friends. For some of us, almost anyone is welcomed in. For others, we're quite anxious about the idea. Our home is our castle. Uh, the anxiety can come from different angles. Some of us are anxious about whether we measure up. Is our place nice enough? Is it clean enough? Others of us, we're worried about feeling comfortable in our own home. Will they wear shoes on the carpet? What if they don't follow the table manners I was brought up with? And this doesn't only happen in our homes, but other places where we feel safe and comfortable. It might be church, where we feel we find it hard to accept people, people who are just new or visiting, especially, though, people who are different from us. Over the last few weeks in Acts, we've seen God breaking down barriers. We've seen Jesus' salvation coming to all sorts of people who were previously separated from God, Uh, people separated because of their ethnicity and culture, because of sexuality and gender. They've repented and believed the gospel. The event we're looking at today in Acts 10, often uh, these events have been thought about as the first Gentile, the first non-Jewish conversion. Uh, this isn't technically true, is it? Because in chapter 8, an Ethiopian trusts in Jesus. And so although Acts 10 records the first time the apostles are involved with a Gentile coming to faith, what we're seeing today isn't only God giving salvation to people beyond the borders of Israel. That's already happened in the book of Acts. It's not only about God's worldwide mission. This chapter is about hospitality. It's about how far the welcome should go for people who are different. Should they be fully accepted? Should different types of people be welcomed into the one people of God, welcome at the same table, welcomed into the family home? What we're going to see today, it's really exciting because this story is our story. It's our story of being accepted by God, but it's also challenging because I reckon we're naturally like Peter. We have a natural tendency to exclude. Uh, The bloke we meet in Acts chapter 10, there were things about him that means he's naturally excluded by Peter and by Jewish people, though it's a bit complex I reckon he would have been despised and loved, excluded and welcomed in almost equal measures. So let's meet this fellow. His name's Cornelius. We meet him in verse 1, Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He, beg your pardon, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. There would have been many in Israel who despised Cornelius. He was not only a Roman citizen living within the borders of Israel, and he was an Italian actually, and he was living in a town which was originally Jewish but now had been renamed, 
renamed in the honour of Caesar. But not only was Cornelius a Roman citizen, he was a Roman soldier. And not only a soldier, but a commander, a high-ranking officer in the oppressing, invading army. Cornelius is the kind of guy Jews would have prayed, many Jews would have prayed that God would annihilate. But at the same time, he was respected by many Jews. We read this in verse 22. He's respected because he prays to the God of Israel and he gives charity to Jewish people in need. We see that in verse 2. He gives generously to the Jewish people in need. Here's what's known as a God-fearer, a non-Jewish person who nevertheless worships the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's turned from idols to worship the one true God, but he's not fully accepted. He hasn't been circumcised or done other things to fully convert to Judaism. So he's respected but kept at an arm's length. And to this man, God sends a messenger. Verse 3. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Why does God send an angel? We're going to see angels, visions, God speaking lots in Acts 10 in these events. These all show God is 100% in control. God is 100% behind everything that goes on. The welcome of Cornelius and his family and friends is going to be controversial. But God makes it clear to everyone this is his doing. But just like with Saul the other week, when Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus, although God is specially present through these events, like always, God uses means. God sends an angel, and angels are just creatures, aren't they? They're things God has made, creatures God has made. God sends an angel. And the angel's message is for Cornelius to send messengers, human messengers, and there to collect another human messenger to come and speak to Cornelius. God uses means. Yes, there's lots of supernatural stuff happening here, but God uses means. God uses people. What's about to happen for Cornelius? It's not different from how anyone comes to faith in Jesus. It's just that God's sovereign hand in salvation is just more visible in this event. Now, before we get to the vision God gives Peter, there's some background work we've got to do. Uh, In the mind of the law of Moses, in the mind of Jews at the time, the whole world was divided into three categories, uh, unclean, clean and holy. Unclean, clean and holy. Holy things are the things of God. 
They're the things of the temple. So animals, they were presented for sacrifice, bulls, lambs, goats. As they are presented for sacrifice in the temple, they are holy. The priests who work in the temple are holy. The whole nation of Israel is called a holy nation. Israelites could enter this temple and offer sacrifices and they could do this so long as they didn't become unclean and they could become unclean through all kinds of things, all kinds of things linked to death. So having a skin disease like leprosy or touching a dead animal. We'll get to uncleanness in a moment. Holiness is where we want to start. Holiness is to do with God and his temple. Clean things were those things that could potentially become holy. So with food, there is clean and unclean food. Clean food is the kind of food that could be offered in the temple. So the meat of bulls, sheep and goats were clean. Unclean things are things that have no part in the worship of God. So any animal that couldn't be offered as a sacrifice is unclean. Pigs and prawns and a whole host of other things, they were unclean to eat. And it's got nothing to do with hygiene, it's about holiness. And in the same way, some people were always unclean. Gentiles, non-Jewish people were always unclean. So even a devout God-fearer like Cornelius was always unclean. Unless he was circumcised and fully entered the people of Israel, unless he renounced his Romanness, his Italianness, there was no way for him to enter God's holy temple. He would always be separate and unacceptable. And that's the background we need to understand as we see Peter's vision. As the messengers are coming from Caesarea, God has a message for the apostle Peter, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now maybe this is a bit romantic, and maybe I'm being a little bit too generous to Peter at this point, but I like to think Peter's gone up on this roof of the house to pray, and he looks across the vast Mediterranean Ocean, and as he looks out to the sea and to the foreign lands, I like to think that Jesus' words are rattling in the back of his mind that he remembers Jesus' command to be witnesses to the ends of the earth and maybe he's even praying for that. But then God intrudes a vision of a massive sheet, and don't think a bed sheet, think the sail of of a boat. He sees this massive sheet full of all kinds of animals, clean animals, unclean animals, and the voice says, kill and eat. I wonder if Peter thinks it's some kind of test, a temptation. And so his first response, surely not, Lord, is is understandable. He's lived according to the law of Moses his whole life, but this isn't a test. It's a message 
Verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happens three times. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Uh, The vision isn't a test, it's a message. A message for Peter to think about the difference Jesus makes. To understand the effects of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, although it's a message from God, the vision doesn't precisely explain what it's mean. Is he saying, Peter, go catch yourself some prawns and, and wrap it in some bacon? Or is there something else he's meant to do? The vision itself doesn't tell you what the application is. And so Peter starts thinking about this amazing thing he's seen. And whilst he's thinking, Cornelius's messengers arrive and maybe... Peter starts putting two and two together. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. I wonder if Peter is starting to put two and two together. Three men, three unclean Gentiles have come looking for him. God the Spirit has just told him to go with them in order to speak, not just with any old Gentile, but with a Roman centurion. I wonder if he's at least started to think, maybe this is what the vision was about. At the very least, it wouldn't have been normal for him to start showing hospitality, to invite people, some Gentiles, to stay in the same house as him. Peter is starting to open up. And I wonder if he goes to bed that night, his head is spinning, bewildered at all the strange things that happened that day. The next day, Peter goes to Caesarea. And Cornelius is eagerly waiting for him. In fact, it's not only Cornelius, he's gathered his friends and family. He wants them to be there. He wants them to hear whatever God is going to say through Peter. Now, as Peter and Cornelius meet, we see two mistakes we make with people. Some we honour as if they're divine. Others we reject as if they're unclean. There may be celebrities and other people. We almost worship others. We cringe when they're around. But the gospel changes this. So we pick up the story in verse 23. Uh, The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he called together his friends and relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. 
but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask why you sent for me? The penny's dropping for Peter. Cornelius wants to honour Peter as divine. Peter's natural instinct is to reject, but the penny's dropping. The vision wasn't really about unclean food. It was about people. Because of Jesus, there are no unclean people. There are no people it's taboo to associate with. This is why God sent an angel to Cornelius, so he could hear the gospel and be not just clean, but holy, be accepted by Peter and all the believers. Verse 30, Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you, good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. What has God commanded Peter to tell Cornelius? He hasn't actually commanded Peter to say anything. God the Holy Spirit said, uh, said, go to Caesarea. He didn't say, take a message. What has God commanded? Well, it goes back to what Jesus said, commanding the apostles to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so that's what Peter does. He tells this group of Gentiles, foreigners, former enemies, he tells them of what Jesus has done for them. But he begins by confessing his own change of heart. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Who does God accept? It's not based on race or nationality, it's based on relationship with God. That's what verse 35 says. Verse 35 is not talking about salvation by works. It's not talking about salvation by works. If you look down to verse 43... We see forgiveness is for those who believe, who trust in Jesus. In verse 35, the point Peter's making is God doesn't accept people based on ethnicity. It's because of their relationship with God, a relationship of fear and righteousness, a relationship through trusting in Jesus. And this is why Peter goes on to speak of all Jesus did, how Jesus came as Israel's Christ. He came to Israel, but he is the Lord and Saviour of all people. Verse 36, Peter continues, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us 
who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Israel's Christ is Lord of all. And Peter now understands what all of this means. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness. And Peter now understands the full extent of that, what that means too. Gentiles are now no longer unclean. In Christ, they're holy. In Christ, they're accepted too. And as Peter proclaims the good news of Jesus, as Peter gives his eyewitness report to all Jesus did, including his resurrection, and that he'll return to judge the living and the dead, as Peter's speaking, this group of Gentiles believe the gospel and receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter used to think Gentiles were unclean. It was taboo to associate with them. But God shows not only are they clean, but through faith and by the Spirit, Gentiles can be holy. Remember those three categories? Unclean, clean, holy. Under the law of Moses, it is impossible for the unclean to become holy. But that's what's happened with Cornelius. As the, as the Gentiles share in Israel's holiness and as they share in Jesus' holiness. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. What does baptism signify here? It's not just about what God has done inwardly. It's not only a sign of sin washed clean. It's also a sign of being joined to God's people. These Gentiles are now part of God's holy people. Accepted, they are, they're now accepted alongside believing Jews. Which is why Peter is willing to accept their hospitality. To eat with, to even stay in the home of those he used to think of as unclean. Before this moment, it might have been Peter thought that when salvation went to the ends of the earth, that there'd be two sections of God's people, two people of God, two ways of salvation, Jews and Gentiles accepted by God, but not by each other. Or maybe he thought that the Gentiles would first need to become Jewish, be circumcised, stop eating pork and prawns and renounce their ethnic or national identity and become Israelites. But God doesn't show favoritism. No one, no ethnicity, uh, no race is impure or unclean. There is one people of God, one way of salvation. Gentiles and Jews are accepted only in and through Christ. For almost 2,000 years since this event has happened, 
for most of church history, Gentiles have been the majority. And so as we hear this event, it can be hard for us to feel the enormity of what happened with Cornelius. We probably haven't felt the kind of distance from God Cornelius and his family did, where they worshipped God with their whole heart, but they were never accepted into God's people. 2,000 years later, our experience of coming to God probably doesn't have that element. And so our first response to this event is we need to put ourselves in Cornelius' shoes. We need to thank God that we have free and full access. We need to realise that as Gentiles, as I assume most of us are, without Jesus, we'd be unclean. But through faith in Jesus, because of what God has done in Christ and by the Spirit, we are holy. We are accepted into God's holy people. And all those promises of the Old Testament are therefore ours in Christ. That's our first response. Cornelius' acceptance is good news for us. Uh, Secondly, even though we are Gentiles, I assume, most of us, it's right for us to put ourselves in Peter's shoes. How might we treat people as if they're unclean? Uh, Do we make people feel like they've got to clean themselves up, that they've got to conform to certain cultural habits before they're welcome in God's church? Do we put up barriers around race race or ethnicity uh, because of politics or family makeup? Uh, Part of the history of Christianity in Australia is there's been loads of divisions around cultural or political lines. Part of the history of denominations in Australia is that the, well, the English people joined the Church of England, the Anglican churches. Scottish people were the Presbyterians. Irish were the Catholics. The building we own on Crown Road, it was originally built for the Welsh people to uh, gather for church. Historically in Australia, denominations were less about theological distinctives. It was about nationalism. And there's still some of that around today. Churches that are founded around ethnic groupings. Chinese churches, Korean churches, Aboriginal churches, Anglo churches. Now some of this is practicalities, it's about language. It's not easy to be part of a church where preaching and praying is done in your second or third language. So it's more practical to gather with people who speak the same language. But I think if we're honest... There's part of us where we're quite happy for people who are different from us to be Christian, as long as they're Christian over there. If we're honest, we might not want the awkwardness that comes from an ethnically diverse church and some of the the preferences that we might have to give up, some of the things that might be a little bit different than what we grew up with. Our hospitality doesn't quite go that far. But the good news is Jesus is Lord of all. Forgiveness of sins is for anyone who believes in Jesus, not just for people I find it easy to get on with. We may not couch 
couch it in the same religious language as Peter. We may not use the language of unclean, but maybe we need to repent of our discrimination and pray God would make our hearts and the hospitality of our church and our homes as wide as his welcome. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you because it's only because of Jesus that we can be accepted by you. Help us understand without Jesus we are unclean, separated from you because of our sin and separate because we're without the promises or the covenants of Israel. We thank you so much that in Jesus we are accepted, that by faith in him all those promises become ours. We are grateful that in your mercy you pour out your Holy Spirit, that we now share in the holiness of Jesus. Help us be a hospitable, welcoming, accepting community. Help us put into practice the welcome of the gospel. May we be a hospitable church, a church that genuinely welcomes all those you have made clean. May this welcome extend beyond Sunday morning to our lives and our homes. Cause us to repent of our inward looking, our comfort comfort seeking. Change us in the knowledge of Jesus. Amen.